Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for August 27th, 27th, 22nd, 22nd, <laughs> 2013. The, I'm confused because we just had a show last week, which is highly irregular for this podcast to be um, to be having two shows in two weeks. But here we are. Uh, sure. the, the Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. Let me go around my awesome fake table and introduce my co-hosts. We have Chuck Monster, the editor-in-chief at VegasEater.com. What's happening, <laughs> Chuck? <laughs> I am wonderful, buddy. I'm glad to be here. And it's three weeks in a row. Uh, yeah, I guess we just... Because we had just, Derek before that. That's right. We're just crank, <laughs> cranking along here. Cranking along. And of course... The king of Kickstarter, Dr. Dave Schwartz, who is also who moonlights when he's not on Kickstarter. He moonlights as the director of UNLV Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey there. Uh, Dave, we're going to talk about your book in just a minute because there's uh, been some movement. Some very exciting stuff is happening. Um, my name's Hunter Hilligus. I have a very itchy neck. Um, uh, so, yes, that's that's all of us, our ragtag gang of uh, miscreants here. Yes, I said I, I made a promise to you, the listeners, that I wasn't going to shave until I finished my app update. And I now regret saying that because I'm in this really that really bad in-between period where it's just like really itchy and feels gross. Um, so I'm really enjoying that uh, very much. Thank you listeners um i'm blaming you even though it was my idea how's that work so um, are you not are you not shaving at all or are you just letting the beard grow and shaving the neck not shaving at all Ooh, yeah that's gonna be rough it's kind of gross looking i have to say um and it feels gross and people look at you kind of like you're a little homeless so i don't know hunter you're uh i'm looking at your skype icon right now and you got a pretty nice beard on that thing uh, well, yeah, but there's a, there's a certain amount of neck shaving that's gone along with it. So, oh, okay. You know, it's, that's really, I think, the, the differentiator. Anyway, enough about my personal hygiene. Where is the best place to get your neck shaved in Vegas? The shave place at Mandalay Bay, maybe, or like uh, the, bar, the barber at Wynn? I don't know. I knew you'd have an answer. I should try one of these things out. I should have a ceremonial neck shaving as part of our VIP weekend. We can add it to the... The calendar, um, and hey, we can do a Vegas list about places where you can get your neck shaved. Hey, that's a great. I like the uh, tie in there, Dave. Yeah. Thanks yeah. very much. <laughs> um, Vegas list app is available on the iTunes App Store. Um, so uh, yeah, let's talk about a couple things up the top. Um, first is a reminder about the Flipboard magazine, Viva Vegas, still available on Flipboard and on the web. So go check that out if you're interested. Um. And uh, apps, I don't really have much to say about my apps, uh, except that I'm still working on them, so more to come. Um, but let's talk about your book, Dave, Grandissimo. We talked about it on the show last time. You were mentioning that you were going to launch your Kickstarter, and, and since then you have. So how did that go? Kickstarter went well. I set the goal for $2,500 uh, with the thought that, hey, well, it's better to get a little bit and then get the whole thing. Because the thing about Kickstarter is that if you don't reach your goal, you don't get any of the money. So I set it kind of low, saying, yeah, this is the bare minimum I need. And within four hours, thanks to the help of you and Chuck and Tim and Michelle and everyone else, I'd gotten the 2500 in four hours. 
Excellent. Yeah, so, it was fun to watch it rock it up. Absolutely. Yeah, it really was. And uh, it's just uh, it's just really amazed me. And now we're at about 4,400, so it's, it's doing really well. And I've got some stretch goals where if I get, the, if I get to, I think, 6,000, I'll be able to do this really in-depth promotional thing that I want to do. But even 5,000 is going to be great if I can get there. So it's yeah. pretty cool. So we've got, as of this recording, the 22nd of August, there are 27 days left to go. Um, so I encourage all of you all out there listening, if you haven't backed the project, to go and consider it. Now, for those of you that haven't used Kickstarter before, um, just I guess a really quick uh, recap about what it is. Kickstarter is a, a website and service that allow people like Dave, so in Dave's case, an author, to um, to say, hey, I want to do this book. Um, is there a market for it? And in traditional markets, you would you would take a chance and produce something and then hope that it sold, hope you could find an audience. This sort of flips that model around. So you go out in advance and say, hey, who out there is interested in this? Will you pledge to help me make it happen? And then that money is collected and the, the creator is able to turn it into a product or a book or a screenplay or a movie or whatever. Um, now, along with your pledge... You have the option to um, to uh, have one of these. Uh, I don't even what, what do they call them? Um, rewards. 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 So you you there are different optional rewards for different funding levels. So you know there's a bunch. Dave has a bunch of different things in there from uh, you know a, a mention in the index to or, or a mention at the Vimp show to um, to a signed copy of the book. And there's a bunch of different levels. So just if you're not familiar with how Kickstarter works, it's not like you're necessarily going there to go order a book. Like it's not a it's not an Amazon pre-order, for instance. There is a way that you can get a book through the Kickstarter thing, but make sure you read it and understand what it is so that you pledge at the right level and understand what you're what you're getting. Um, it's a way to support the project and make sure that it, it happens and make sure that it uh, that it's great. So I encourage you to go out and do it. Um, we'll link to the Kickstarter in the show notes, uh, but it should also be pretty easy to find if you search Kickstarter.com uh, for Grandissimo. I don't think there's a lot of other Grandissimo pro- projects on Kickstarter. No, not yet. I've got to tell you, though, the, the rewards was the hardest part of putting this together because so many other people on Kickstarter are artists and people like that, and they have all kinds of great artistic stuff. And I was really racking my brains trying to find things that I could give as rewards. So I have some of the stuff that didn't make it into the book. So there's this great... Well, I don't know about great. There's an essay about Morris uh, Lapidus, who was the great architect of the Fountain Blue and other places in Miami, and just a great architect in that period who was a big influence on Jay Sarno, didn't make into the book, so that's going in there. And there was a lot of things I was thinking about doing. One of the things which I don't believe I've ever talked about in the show before is I have a great passion for artisanal nut butters. <laughs> I really enjoy making oh, peanut butter. Uh, I found that... <laughs> The pistachio butter, <laughs> pistachio butter, looks really unfortunately a lot like baby poop. <laughs> but it's just impossible to get past that. So pistachio butter didn't make the cut. I was thinking about like, okay, yeah, maybe for twenty five dollars you can get uh, a jar of Dr. Dave's artisanal nut butter. But then <laughs> I thought this sounds exactly like some kind of Hank Kingsley type scheme. I just pictured you know dozens of people being sickened by improperly sealed or refrigerated nut butters because there's no hey now uh, yeah i mean it was like oh my god this could go so incredibly badly so yeah um if you do want to get some of dr dave's artisanal nut butter we'll have to 
work that out. And I would really strongly suggest putting it in the refrigerator quickly because it does not have preservatives. But yeah, so there's a lot of things that I wanted to do that I didn't quite do. I'm going to take that sound clip, Dr. Dave's artisanal <laughs> nut butter, and use that as my cell phone ringtone. Oh, man. My hand, my hand to God. I was going to make a joke about giving away lap dances. But oh. there's no need for that now with Dr. Dave's artisanal nut butters. Yeah, I mean, I put a lot of phone in the nut butter. I was really... if. <laughs> Kickstarter didn't work out. I was really now thinking about hitting the uh, farmer's market circuit around here. Wow. <laughs> people with worse stuff and uh, also could go into hummus, which I do a lot of that too. Dave, um, we, we barely knew ye. All this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's been it's been a quiet passion of mine for quite a while. So Very quiet. Wow. Yeah, very quiet. Hummus and nut better. Food processor is pretty loud though. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff I – I considered doing but didn't do so that's that's why the rewards are where they at i also really want somebody to do this 500 hundred dollar reward not i mean i do need the 500 hundred dollars, but also because i want to be able to give an unsanctioned tour of caesar's palace mm. at some point i mean that's going to be fun <laughs> i was be- you know i was thinking that would be a totally great one but then i was like i could probably get dr dave to get me a tour without paying him tour- 500 bucks <laughs> yeah yeah well, I, I can attest you gave me a short little walk through the riviera one day before we went to lunch and it was pretty incredible just for 10 minutes or so hearing dave talk about the ribs so yeah definitely so for the um you know if, if nut butter isn't your thing you should definitely should consider uh, uh, getting back in the project for 500 bucks and getting the, the historical tour of Caesar's Palace. Now, there are many other uh, backing options. You definitely don't have to spend oh, yeah. $500 to get the, in on the action. So, The thing that surprised me the most was that I thought that there would be a lot more people bidding at the lower ones, like the $5 and $10 ones. But as of now, I have no $5 ones. And the most popular one has been the $75 one, which includes the signed book. Yeah. And the reason why that's so much over retail is that I have to ship the book twice because I have to ship it to get it to me. Then I sign it and ship it out to the person. So right. um, that that's the reason why that is so up there. But yeah. it's it's a worthy thing. Yeah, I mean shipping yes. is, the, is the hard part too of this whole thing. But it's really – it's pretty cool. I'm really – excited that so many people have pledged and I'm really grateful to everybody who has. So thank you all. Very cool. Um, for those of you that haven't yet, I uh, hope you consider it, go and check it out. Um, it's, it's, uh, very exciting to see it come together and, um, you know, let's, uh, let's throw some extra cash in there for Dave to market the book. And, you know, I don't think it's an entirely, uh, <clears throat> entirely, expected that dave should have to like you know lose zillions of dollars creating this book he should make make some money right so uh hopefully uh, dave ends up with some money in his pocket as well at least that's like, what that's like my hope everyone else i'm just hoping to break even well i think i want to do better <laughs> than that yes that would be fantastic all right cool uh so that is up on kickstarter we will um link to that and uh very exciting so congrats dave thank you speaking of um, the book, it's going to be the official launch party. It's, of course, at the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic, which takes place October 19th at The D in Las Vegas. And um, as part of that show, we will be doing a live version of this podcast, a special interview episode featuring sound effects from Chuck and questions <laughs> from all of us. Uh, so we announced on the last show that we had pretty fairly certain we had secured our interview guest 
And, uh, you know, actually, it's funny. I got the final confirmation email like five minutes after the show ended. So um, what that means is that we are here today to tell you who our guest is going to be. And so uh, I... I um I think I can speak for all of us. We really enjoy doing these interviews. They're a lot of fun. We get to talk to people that are in the industry and learn a few things and pin them down on uh, on some interesting details. And um, so those of you who are wondering who we're going to be interviewing, uh, those those that participated in the uh, the Vegas tripping poll, you're you're smarter than uh, you're smarter than you should be. Um, you correctly pegged our interview guest. At least the last time I checked. Uh, who is, our interview guest is going to be um, Seth Shore, who is run, who runs Fifth Street Gaming, the company that is operating Downtown Grand, which will be opening sometime around in that uh, time zone. We've heard um, different dates from different folks. Um, I don't think that they've officially announced a date. I've heard everywhere between the end of September to the middle of October. So um, either way, it will either be newly opened or about to open. And um, we're going to be talking to him about that. But also, you know, this guy, for those that don't know, has a very interesting history. His father, uh, Mark Shore, is, uh, had, well, until recently retired, sort of Steve Wynn's consigliere. I mean, the guy has been with Steve for, forever, uh, one of his most trusted advisors and um, a very interesting guy in his own right. Uh, and so Seth, you know, grew up in the business, right? His his dad was working at Wynn for many, many years. Um, and after school, actually, Seth went to work for, for Wynn Resorts himself as well, both uh, here in the United States, but also in China. So we have a lot that we can talk to him about. Uh, I'm pretty interested about interested and excited. I've got uh, already been cranking away on some questions. So we're excited about our guests, looking forward to it for sure. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have anything that you want to add. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really I'm excited to, to yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty much all I've had. Yeah, well, we don't want to tip our hand, he. So we gotta we gotta save all of our questions for the uh, for the show yeah. itself. So uh, I think it's going to be great. Looking forward to it, and um, it's going to help round out a fantastic show, which also includes 500 by Midnight, uh, VT Match Game, and um, and the launch of Dave's book. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, the offer code for the D website hotel bookings is VIMPF 2013. So you can use that to get a discount on rooms if you're interested in going but haven't already booked. And you can get all of the details about the show at VegasInternetMafia.com. Um, did I leave anything out? Nope. Okay. Let's, get, I can think of. let's talk about some Vegas. So actually, um, that, that rolls right into... Well, the first thing that I want to talk about, which was we, we didn't get to last time, was the Vegas tripping piece on Downtown Grand itself, Chuck. You've actually posted two, I think, two posts in the last couple of weeks focused on sort of what we should expect from Downtown Grand based on some of the stuff that they have published. Uh, but why don't I let you ex- – you, uh, especially your first post, I think uh, hopefully um, you can set me straight if I've got this wrong. I get the impression that you're – your interest is peaked in what they're doing down there, um, and as far as the, the room design goes. So why don't I let you speak for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, they released a couple of uh, room rendering photo things, and uh, they were pretty pretty fascinating. I was uh, I was quite taken by them. Uh, you can tell in the rooms not only the design, but how. The photos are taken and presented that Seth Shore and whoever else is involved in the marketing of his business uh, 
they look at what the best people do, i.e. win, regarding uh, presenting their room product. It's lit perfectly. Every they got these little backlights here. Things are hidden. You know, you don't know this when you take when you see these room photos, but there are like tons of lights behind where the camera is and tucked away under the bed and behind chairs and under curtains and things like that, all with the wires kind of hidden or battery powered. So you can't really see this stuff, but it lights up every corner of the room. And they also take multiple photos with the camera in the same spot and then stitch them together using Photoshop. They spend a great deal of time producing these photos, and they have the same feel as the Barbara Craft photos, who's the woman who takes all of the win and very, very high-end resort pictures uh, everywhere around the world. Uh, you can tell that Seth did not... Uh, that he paid attention when he was working in the Wynn organization, obviously. The rooms have a very, very Roger Thomasy feel and design to them. Uh, if you, you look at the dressers, the choice of the furniture, the shapes of the chairs, the types of the linens and things like that, and the colors are extremely inspired by uh, a very uh, Roger Thomasy informed color palette and sensibility. Uh, and this is primarily the king room, which is the first post that I put up. It's a it's a king suite. Uh, the rooms come in, I think, six different options. There's a queen room, a king room, a king suite, a queen suite, which there's only like one or two of them. Uh, there's a junior suite, which is bigger than the king. I'm kind of surprised by the name. Uh, but that is a two-room affair. It's an actual suite. It's two. It's two regular rooms with a with a hole cut in the wall between the two of them. So it's twice the size. And also on the top of each tower, there is a, a presidential suite on both of them. I haven't seen those, and I don't know what the floor plan is like. But but the, I'm I'm really excited by the, by the room design. Some of the some of the rooms, like the queen room, uh, they've taken. They're using furniture that appears to be. Uh, part of the Fontainebleau collection of uh, deceased, distressed, bankrupt, sold stuff, which is also in the plaza rooms. Right. Uh, they've they've done they've done a better job, I think, in in dressing around that furniture than the plaza did. The plaza kind of have to, but it's got the room. That room has the same carpeting as the plaza rooms, the same furnishings, a lot of the same stuff, and this weird like wall length watercolor painting, which is kind of psychedelic, I guess, but a little weird looking. It looks like a child's room, a little bit too much to me. But they seem to be doing some pretty interesting stuff in terms of the room product. The footprint's a little small. Anybody who's stayed at the Lady Luck knows that. But I think they're, they're doing a lot with what they can, and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the property and how they put it together. Yeah, I mean, so they, they really tore this place down to the studs. Um, so, so, you know, some of the attributes like uh, room sizes, which you know are are not as large as what we're used to with new construction that we see in the strip and elsewhere. Of course, that stuff remains, but um, it looks like you know everything else is pretty much all new. Um, I you know I agree. I, I thought uh, these these photos look cool. Um, I hope that uh, I hope that it stacks up. Now, what I'm wondering is what the public spaces and casino areas are going to look like. Um, I remember reading a while back that they were going for some of that, you know, sort of industrial vibe um, in some places, which I, I think a lot of folks that are building casinos uh, without a huge budget like because it's cheaper than doing super, super lush interiors with fabrics and everything everywhere like you might see it at a win. Um, but 
I'm curious. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that the casino will be a nice a nice space. And they're doing a lot of, you know, we've seen photos. They're doing a lot of work up on their pool deck, this giant um, rooftop configuration with uh, a bunch of other areas that they're going to be using for different things. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's very interesting to see. Uh, and I hope it. Uh, I hope it's a great thing. It looks like from your piece, you know, the, some of the prices that you had done research on that they're it's very reasonably priced, sort of in line with the market. Um, yeah. what, what you'd expect, I guess. Uh, you know, Dave, maybe a question for you. What? Uh, any thoughts on downtown and uh, adding capacity? And you know, we saw what happened as strip hotels opened two thousand eight. Nine, ten, and how the added, and yeah, obviously a lot more capacity was added there. But we we saw how the added the a market that didn't need any more rooms um, had some poured into it. How, how, any thoughts on downtown and adding capacity to to that market? Yeah, I don't think the issue downtown is one of oversupply of rooms. I think every time, at least every time I go down there, it's always packed with people. There's tons of people. I think there's definitely more of a demand for rooms there, especially if it's a product that's a little bit different. You know, now if it was just more $20 rooms that were going to compete with the lowest tier, you know, yeah, that would be a problem for those other low tier place. But I think that this product is different enough that it'll be a, that'll, there will be an audience for it. You know, the question is, is it going to translate into gaming revenue, which really it hasn't so much for the other places. You know, the gaming revenue continues to really stagnate um, or decline a little bit. So I think that's the issue there is getting the people to gamble or adjusting to kind of a post gambling centric downtown. Yeah. So, I mean, if downtown grant opens, uh, who, who is probably, who is most in danger of uh, having business siphoned off? Uh, I mean, we've seen, you know, of course, if you're, if you're introducing a, a nicer product, golden nugget is always a target, um, both the D and the Plaza have had renovations in the past couple of years to improve their room product. Are they the most likely to be hurt by a new entrant when what seems like a going after a similar cross section of the market? Yeah, I think it is. You also have to consider El Cortez, which has had renovations too. And I think the bigger picture is we'll see how this does. So let's say they're able to get 90% occupancy. I think then maybe you will see El Cortez go ahead with some things that they're considering doing with their cabana suites in that area. And you also might see Binion's Hotel maybe get closer to reopening. If they don't, if they're doing like, you know, 75% occupancy, it'll be a lot more difficult to justify investing more money into hotel rooms in downtown. Yeah, I mean that the Binion's thing is an interesting question, right? I mean, what if how is it how do you make how does this equation work? We've got new inventory coming online, but the the folks at Binion's can't make enough money to keep their hotel open. Well, you know, you also have to look at where the at the markets for the rooms. It's not just the traditional gambling market, that sort of thing. I think you also want to look at the World Market Center, the furniture place as a potential source and the other things that are going on downtown. So I think that downtown Grand is pretty well positioned to maybe take advantage of some of the folks who might be there for doing Zappos type stuff, uh-huh. you know, downtown projects sort of things. Definitely the vibe of it, it's something that's probably more to their liking than the more traditional slash authentic places. So I think you've got to look at the big picture. I'd love to talk to their salespeople and see, you know, 
how are they going to get people from the World Market Center, you know, how that's going to work, you know, where they're going to be trying to pull their customers from, how many of them are just going to be the OTAs, people who are looking for a cheap room downtown versus how many are going to be with groups and other sorts of uh, sales initiatives. Yeah, I tell you what, Dave, you don't need to talk to the salespeople. You can talk to the CEO. That's right. In a couple of, in about five and a half weeks and ask him all of these questions. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about, about I don't want to raise this again because it caused all that problem. Uh, everybody was commenting about it, but how, how does Boyd fit into this equation? Granted, they have the big Rolodex in Hawaii, but here comes another guy down the street who's upping the ante of their room products. And making the entire neighborhood a little bit better by doing better stuff, unless they start to invest. I see possibly like the California, even though that is primarily a Rolodex property, they might have some problems getting other people who might want to stay there. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, the more the, the, more the quality of the product, surrounding products improve, the pressure on them only, only has to increase, right? I mean. Four Queens as well, you know, would... They they have an, those rooms look like stuff from 1983, despite the fact that Steve Wozniak stays there, which baffles me. But <laughs> you know, which is a joke. Like I think four people are going to laugh at. But you know, interesting as, to see what's going to how this is going to shake out. As far as downtown Grand goes, Chuck, what do you think? Uh, you know, it's a it's not right on Fremont Street, right? It's a little bit tucked away. Is that a problem? Are people going to be reluctant to walk that extra, you know, half a block or three quarters of a block? I think if there's compelling reasons to go there, then people will go there. You know, people make the walk to El Cortez and they have. People make the walk to uh, Main Street Station. You know, it's got a dedicated following of people who love that place, you know, and, and people like to check it out too. So I think if they have the right mix of stuff, it's going to happen. You know, the layout of the property, the, the rooftop pool, the fact they're going to kind of close the street off down there and uh, there's already all the bars and whatnot. I think that's going to become a new sort of anchoring hub, uh, sort of like maybe the hard rock was to a degree uh, on the strip, it's going to create its own destination. People are going to come, and they're going to go there. It's a place to party. There is no real pool scene, I guess. Maybe the Nugget, you know, downtown at all. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. That's definitely what they're going for—is creating their own little mini district over there. Um, yeah. See if, see if they can and pull it off. It's kind of like, oh, sorry. It's kind of like uh, East Tremont going to totally, you know, going north. Right. You know, how East Fremont is more of the bar scene. This this seems like it's very similar, but probably a little bit, maybe a little bit less rowdy. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, and not to get into this topic again, but I think, Chuck, you said no resort fee at uh, Downtown Grand. Is yeah, that right? that's what I'm hearing. No resort fee. Yep. Interesting. Given our discussion about resort fees over the last couple of episodes, uh, it'll be interesting to see if that ends up being true and if it stays that way um and they're pet they're pet friendly too ah very good yes cool well um it sounds like given the fact that we're so close to opening and there will be a lot more to talk about with downtown grand as people be able, are actually able to try it out for themselves and see what it's like so i'm sure you'll hear more from us on that uh soon plus of course we're going to be interviewing seth shore on october 19th at uh the Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic. So we will be talking a lot more about Downtown Grand at that show. Um, next up, I'm not sure, 
how much there is to talk about here, just noting it, uh, it was VT Pete's that I saw, a property that I don't spend very much time thinking about anymore, uh, the, the Palms, but um, it was, uh, you know, the host of our original um, podcast event uh, several years, so, um, you know, they're they're going through uh, through some renovations with the uh, Ghost Bar and, and Rain, two of the venues that opened with the place that really helped to make it famous. Um, you know, uh, Rain and Ghost Bar both showed up often in the um, MTV Real World series that was shot there. Uh, they have, you know, they opened in 2001, so they were a little um, a little creaky, and uh, they uh, shut them down and uh, refurbished them, and they're about ready to re-enter. I guess, you know, if you guys have anything that you want to say, that's fine, but I'm wondering, is the... Is the Palms going able to going to be able to uh, reinvigorate itself with this kind of stuff? Um, it feels like, at least to me, that sort of the hip party crowd has really moved on to maybe Cosmopolitan or other places, and it's not the party spot that it once was. Is the Palms poised for a party comeback? Uh, that's that's a, I'm sure uh, Leonard Green and Associates. Would love to have an answer to that one, right? I, I can't really give you one, but they're they're refreshing the entire property and the brand. Whether or not that's going to bring the peacocks in, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it's interesting to me strategically what they're doing. So they've got Horea, which seems to be they're trying to get into this more. I don't even know what you call it, but the STK. It's sort of like an STK light uh-huh. for there. And I think it raises a question with the nightlife. I, you know, will they be able to compete with Hakkasan and the wind places? I don't think so. It's, I just don't think they're going to have the war chest to do it. You know, can they offer something kind of different? I think that's their best hope is do something a little different. You know, back 10 years ago, that's what they did. They pioneered the nightclub thing in the casinos here right. and really did produce, you know, so they've got to find a niche they can, that they can afford to compete in, you know, just trying to have the hottest DJ, I don't think is going to work out for them. So they've, yeah. they've got to do that. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I am no nightclub expert by any stretch. Anybody that listens to this show knows that, but, um, I'm wondering, you know, that is the nightclub industry the kind of thing where their second tier, quote unquote, places can even really be viable? I mean, so it seems like so much of it is about uh, seeing and being seen in the right hot new place. It's a very fickle kind of industry where a place is hot for a certain amount of time and then it, it's dead and has to be reinvented. Um, you know, is there an opportunity, a market for sort of a uh, less expensive, perhaps, or lower end. I mean, like, hey, I, you know, someone that uh, can't afford a bottle service at XS, they can, they, you know, they have a lower priced bottle service product at a place like the Palms. I don't even know if that works in that industry. Yeah, and the whole sad story of the Tropicana over the past two years really suggests that you're either in, you know, on the hot list or not on it. And if you're not, you've got a lot of trouble. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's a second second tier option there, as far as I can tell. All right, well, you know, we'll be watching the Palms um, and see how it goes. And definitely, Ghost Bar's got it. Definitely has a nice view, uh, as long as the music's not too loud. <laughs> <laughs> it 
if it's too loud, you're too old. <laughs> um, let's see. Let's wing over to China. And uh, this is a story that's – there's not a lot of detail, but I think it's interesting either way. Um, so, you know, we're going to talk about Macau and um, SJM, who is one of the operators there, the, uh, the um, original operator, um, is going to be doing a partnership with a famous fashion house, uh, Versace. Um, <laughs> to uh, Versace. Um, so if you don't get that joke, you have to go watch Showgirls. <laughs> best, best movie ever. Yes. Um, they are doing a deal to do a hotel product in one of their in one of their casinos. I think uh, one of the think projects they're doing on Kotai. So you know, very interesting to me to see this kind of a partnership between a uh, you know very well known fashion brand. And um, a Chinese casino company, especially, you know, as we read about um, the insatiable appetite for these sorts of brands in China for Chinese consumers. You know, Wynn often talks about how successful his boutique stores are in, in, at Wynn Macau and how they are some of the highest grossing per square foot stores anywhere because the fo- these folks, these newly rich Chinese uh, are so desperate to get their hands on this stuff. So I think this is very interesting, and perhaps a very shrewd maneuver to, I mean, to um, to create a new hotel product with, with a brand that could really jumpstart them. I, I don't know. Was this a surprise to either of you guys? Is this something that you, that you thought was notable? I mean, this really jumped out at me as, uh, as a really interesting turn of events. I think it's notable. It's not something I'd really thought about a great deal, I've got to confess, before reading about it. But I think it is pretty notable and it might be a sign of future moves along this line. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, if other other operators do that. I mean, you know, um, I, I for me, obviously SGM is um, – been, has been there for forever and has like a zillion different hotel properties dotted all over the, the peninsula. Um, I don't really think of them as a powerhouse hotel operator. I think when I think of them, and rightly or wrongly, I, I think of smoky, low ceiling casinos with a bunch of dudes playing baccarat. Um, it's interesting to see what uh, some of the higher end product that they're putting together with uh, with Versace and, uh, and some of the other stuff they're doing on Kotai, how that's going to end up for them. This is going to be SJM's first property on Kotai. They're well, actually, they do have the Grand Waldo, and the the dog track is over there too. But uh, this is their first in the Kotai strip. There, this is going to be their first joint. So they're going up against the big, you know, the Galaxy and Venetian, and head to head right there on the same street where people can walk from one to another. So. Basically, branding your property with a high-end luxury brand that's it's going to bring in a lot of people, and it's going to bring in that clientele that wants that. You right. know, it's these people who who like that stuff. They're they got the money to afford it, and I'm sure that the the room rents will be equivalent. The room will be designed uh, to meet those standards, and. Uh, It'll probably be pretty damn successful. I'm curious, though, also, it's just on the on the Versace side, is how this is going to play for them in the future. Are they going to start becoming more of a lifestyle brand in addition to right. fashion? Yeah. Uh, who knows? It will be interesting to see for sure. But I, I thought this was interesting, and I, 
Um, I'm wondering if we'll see more of these sorts of deals in, in the future as well. There was there was a deal to do another property south of Win Kotai that was going to be Hello Kitty branded. No, I yes. can't tell if you're joking or not. No, 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 no. Absolutely serious. Absolutely serious. It was probably about 2009, 2010 that they had announced that there was going to be a Hello Kitty branded. I think SJM or maybe it wasn't SJM. It was uh, Pansy owned that property. Wow. She <laughs> had the rights to that property, but I think it's bunk now. Wow. Yeah. Craziness. Well, um, you know, Kotai continues to expand like crazy. I'm sure we'll see all kinds of other ideas pop up. Um, but uh, very curious. So Versace taking over. <laughs> um, the funny thing is, though, too, is that, what was the name? The Palazzo Versace Hotel. Right. Which, which is, you know. Yeah. That's like dick punching Sheldon <laughs> right there on his front door. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he's a tough guy. He can take it. Yeah, well, he takes Paris, then we'll take the Palazzo. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, well, I want to wing, wing back to Las Vegas because um, there's, a, there's a very interesting story going on related to the newspaper situation in Las Vegas that has been unraveling over the past couple of days. So uh, hopefully I'll get this right. So, of course, Las Vegas has um, two major newspapers, the Las Vegas Review-Journal and the Las Vegas Sun, who um, the, the Sun has been operated in uh, – printed and partially part of its operations handled by the RJ folks for some time under a joint operating agreement um, that, uh, you know, as the sun went from an afternoon newspaper to sort of an insert in the RJ as it is today. Um, but anyway, the, um, the folks that run the sun, Greenspun family, um, have apparently voted three to, three to one um, to end that agreement. And uh, there would, they would get possession of, a, of the VelasVegas.com domain name. The review journal would no longer have to uh, print the sun and put it in there in the newspaper or sell ads against it or anything like that. Um, anyway, so the, um, the one holdout, Brian Greenspun, um, is suing uh, the Stevens Media, the, co- the company that publishes the RJ, uh, to block them from dissolving this operating agreement. Uh, but however the the case ends up, I think it's very interesting to – I mean I, I think most – the way most people look at this is this: if this agreement is dissolved, the sun will cease to exist. Um, now, that's not necessarily true. I guess uh, there may be some scenario in which that, that doesn't occur. Um, but uh, it sounds like the sun on its own is not profitable. It really relies on this agreement to be able to make any kind of financial sense. Um, what you know, the sun, Las Vegas Sun has been around forever. It seems um, Jeff Simpson, our uh, our former co-host on this show, was a Sun reporter. Um, is this a big deal? This feels like a, a big story to me, Dave. I mean, you're a lot. You're you live in Las Vegas. What how what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a pretty big story. Um, as you said, if the sun went out of business, that would be a huge blow. I think we'd have a lot 
less people writing about Las Vegas and, you know, not just the stuff with people looking at the gaming industry, but also everything from education to government to all that. You know, I think it's really good to have more than one voice and we need to continue that. Of course, there are a lot of other voices like Vegas 7, the one that I write for, but it's nice to have two dailies out there um, independently investigating things, looking at uh, just looking at things from different editorial angles editorial angles so i think it would be a huge deal and pretty sad for the city it's uh you know uh looking at sort of how the lot the my perception of the las vegas sun is that it seems to be um slowly dying basically i mean it went from being an independent totally independently printed newspaper to being rolled up inside of the rj uh, but printed um printed and distributed in the afternoon and then it got transitioned to being basically like an insert in the RJ. Um, it seems like it continues to get a little bit smaller. Um, and, uh, I'm just, I, you know, can, can the city not support two, two newspapers? I mean, it seems to be dying or, or is it yeah. just, is it the green spuns? Have they royally screwed this up? No, it doesn't look like the city can really support two newspapers. Newspapers everywhere are contracting. So I think that's no secret at all. I think we're seeing this in a lot of cities. So, you know, I'm not saying it's something that shouldn't happen. I'm saying if it does happen, it's kind of sad that it is happening. And yeah. you know, I think you can all I've I've kind of seen a shift in the tenor of the sun and other newspapers too, to be fair. Hang on a second. I'm trying to pull up this this uh story here. So just give me a second. But it seems like I'm not saying they don't do heavy-hitting journalism, but there seems to be a lot more emphasis online, at least, to the more, you know, five things you should know about right. XYZ kind of stuff. Slideshow type. Yeah, there's a lot of slideshow type stuff, which kind of turns me off to it, but I guess there's a need for that, and I guess that drives views. What do I want to... Ah. There was this headline I saw before, and I can't find it now, about a pile of goat manure in Vermont spontaneously bursting into flames. I don't remember if there's the RJ or the sun or maybe neither, but I remember thinking like, you know, it used to be like every now and then you would see a jokey headline and that would be funny because you caught something the editors didn't mean, but it seems like now they're just trying to go for these headlines that are yeah, going to get picked up virally. Yes. So well. it seems, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of... I don't want to say we're going towards idiocracy or something like that, but it does kind of seem like there maybe some folks are compromising a little bit here. It's, uh, you know, it's also the Greenspun Media, the company um, related to uh, the Sun in this in this situation. They also publish Las Vegas Weekly and um, I think some other, I mean some other stuff. Of course, Las Vegas Sun website, Vegas Inc. Uh, they have a whole bunch of sort of sub brands and uh, other publications. It, it it's just very be very interesting to see um, how all of these other publications fare if the sun was to disappear. Um, I don't know, Chuck. You're you know a regular reader of I'm sure at least the Las Vegas Sun website. Uh, is this inevitable? I mean, you know, you you've been reading it long enough. I'm sure to to see it go up and down. You know, I. Uh... I think, <laughs> man, you know, the news isn't dead. If anything, it's more alive and more popular than it ever, ever was. People crave information. They crave it now. Uh, unless you're on top of your story within, you know, 15, 20 minutes, the conversation has moved elsewhere. 
the concept of a printed newspaper that gets delivered to people's houses is dead. It shouldn't exist. It doesn't exist. In an eco-friendly, uh, extensible world, that is a bad idea. They should all just go right to the right to the web right now at this stage of the game. If people can't, you know, if you can't, if you can't get on the web, then you're basically getting lost in the chasm. That means you can't afford a newspaper. So, granted, there's no coupons and stuff, or they haven't figured out how to deal with all that other stuff that that generates income for a newspaper, the coupon bundles and want ads and all that other stuff, but. You know, news isn't dead. I, I, I'm. This whole thing made me think about Jeff, and the great, uh, one of his great, great tweets. He said, "Those who wonder about whether the Las Vegas Sun really cares about its journalistic credibility can count on Robin Leach for the answer." <laughs> you know, which put kind of the Sun's last few years into perspective. You know, it's become a bit of a gossip rag. They copy posts from me, which is just ridiculous, you know, <laughs> stupid shit too. And if you read through Jeff's last few months of tweets, you'll just see every reason why the sun doesn't deserve to exist. Uh, they're, they're Greenspun fighting against the siblings is really just kind of a cash grab. He's trying to preserve the family name to some degree, but it's done. It's over with. It's time to step away and for the world to accept, and it's it's the world to accept and for them to accept that it's not a two-newspaper town. It's not even a one-newspaper town. It's a thousand-website town where everybody who has a computer and a blog is all sharing information into this thing. Some of it's going to be of more quality than others. Some of it's going to make more money or lose more money than others. And it's up to the, for the readers to decide what floats and what sinks. Right now, those guys think that they're the two, the two names in town. But, you know, just like Dave alluded to, there's Vegas 7. There's a thousand other blogs out there who are making really compelling kind of fun information that's thought-provoking in a lot of ways. More uh, m- Contains more investigation and real opinion than anything else. I read Howard Stutz. Sometimes I want to scream because he's rewriting the same press release that I got. It's like, where's the real analysis? Here's a guy who's who studied the industry. He knows all these people. He knows all this stuff. But come on, man, get in there. I know he's got the brains, but they're filling column inches. That's my rant. Yeah. You know, I, I can't tell. Uh, I've heard conflicting stories on whether or not they would be able to keep the website alive if they even if they stopped printed the paper. I mean, one of these stories said that uh, they would have to transfer LasVegasSun.com to Stevens Media, who would then own it. They'd have to sign non-compete saying they couldn't work in the news business. Um, and then another story made it sound like they could potentially stop printing the paper but continue the website. Um, I don't, I'm, not sh- I'm not clear on how that all is potentially going to shake down um, no matter who gets their way. Uh, but uh, it does sound like there's a real chance that at least a lot, if not all of that stuff, could could go away. And, um, you know, it would be interesting to see what, if any, impact that has on, you know, the amount of journalism being performed in the in the Valley. Yeah. Uh, You've got to ask if maybe more of it would go to AP. Yeah. Place, you know, people from outside the city, because there's definitely a ton of really good stories here. But a lot of times when it goes, does go to people, I'm not talking about the local AP 
uh, bureau, but if it goes to people from outside, they kind of lose a lot of the subtleties and a lot of the nuances when they're reporting. So, uh, you know, I think having a news staff that's based in Las Vegas and knows what they're talking about is just a tremendous asset. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I would, I would think hope that some of the more talented, uh, folks would be able to find other work, whether it's with the RJ or some other new upstart that is willing to employ them. Um, and some of the folks, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I wouldn't miss so much. Um, because, you know, Chuck is right that there is a lot of fluff that gets published in both of those newspapers, stuff that in my opinion, doesn't really have much of a right to exist. So, um, but you've got to ask what's driving the fluff. And I think that's basically the market, you know, where people, you know, when people are looking for something to read, uh, you know, however many pages to read while they're taking the subway home to work in the evening or waking up in the morning reading the paper. I think that's much different from people who are at work and they're kind of grazing the news and just clicking on whatever looks titillating. You know, I think it's a, to- I think it's a totally different market and it's going to really impact the kind of stuff that gets reported. I think, you know, not just in Vegas, obviously, but everywhere. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, but as far as, uh, great journalistic institution deserving to be saved or not. They're not helping their case by, you know, five pictures of uh, the hottest bikini chicks this summer, right? I mean, like, who, you know, there may be a market for that, but it doesn't mean it, it, I'm not going to run out there and say that the, we need to stop the world to save, to save an institution that cares about publishing that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's true. You can true. find that by Googling. You can find that by, you know, reading Stuff Magazine or any other stupid shit like that. Silly. It, it would definitely be the end of an era um, if it was to come to pass. So definitely notable. Um, and, you know, this is tied up in the courts, so it may be a while before there's any kind of final uh, final decision. Though I have to think that if you're a good – if you're a, a, one of the top people at one of these – well, at The Sun, uh, you maybe are looking for a job because <laughs> you don't know how this is all going to shake out and you want to be ahead of the curve. I guess we'll see. Um, last thing real quick, just noting, cause it did happen today and I think it's interesting. Um, the Wynn Resorts has applied for an internet gaming license in the state of New Jersey. So, um, you know, this is interesting. They are, uh, entering the, um, application process. So it'll be a while before we find out if they are awarded, uh, a license or not. Um, but, uh, you know, Wynn does not have any other operations in Atlantic City at the moment. So I think this, is, this was interesting, I think, to see how this comes out. Wynn um, has sort of, I would say, somewhat fumbled their uh, entry into the electronic internet gambling market. Um, they don't really seem to have a strong, coherent strategy, at least that they've articulated publicly. Um, they had the, the partnership that sort of blew up in their face because the guys all uh, went to jail. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it's, they haven't, they haven't come out as a leader in the internet, uh, gaming field as, um, you know, they are in the land-based casinos. Uh, they've sort of ceded that ground at least initially to other folks. So it'll be interesting to see if this marks a change, um, in that strategy, if they're going to start to take that more seriously. Yeah. In my crazy scenario, uh, Wynn shows up and buys the Atlanta club and turns it into <laughs> win Atlantic City, kind of closing the circle there. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. 
It's like uh, you know, he could s- scratch the paint off the off the wall and be like, "They're still down here. All the original stuff is, you know." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so this is uh, in and of itself, I think, uh, an interesting marker uh, to see if something comes from this or not. Uh, as we watch these companies start to expand their digital efforts, um, I think that's it. We're thinking we're going to call that a show. Um, we are going to do our sure bet segment where we get to uh, endorse something for you, the audience, to check out. Doesn't have to necessarily be related to casinos, but it certainly can be. Um, let's see. Dave, do you have something for us today? Yeah, what I'll throw out is Kickstarter, just oh, as yeah. a thank you to everybody. You know, it's a great. A couple of years ago before this, I think this book just would have sat around and I have to make some very painful decisions about, well, how much money can I afford to put into it to, to get it out there? I think it just makes it so much better. And um, so, yeah, just Kickstarter is great. I found some other really neat projects in there now that I've been paying so much more attention to it. So it's yeah. kind of – it's a lot of fun. It's a lot Kickstarter of fun. is great. I've backed a few things. Um, but, you know, not just interesting ways to find products that you may not ordinarily be able to find, but um, for those of you out there that have always dreamt about doing something like this, writing a book or making a movie or this building a product that you've got designed, uh, you know, this is a whole new way to do that, access to capital that just was not possible before. Um, and it it's really, I think, a powerful thing. Uh, and. It, this may sound like hyperbole, but I really think that this kind of thing can make the world better. So I think it's great that Kickstarter's out there and that it's getting so much attention and that it's been so successful. All right. Um, Charles, do you have anything for us? I would like to uh, give my sure bet to Dave's Kickstarter. So if you haven't gone out there kind of putting money behind Dave's Kickstarter thing, but I'm saying you should go out there and get in there and dig it in and make it happen even more, even though it's happened already. Just like get in there, you know, like literally and just do it and stuff. Wow. Okay. Du- Thanks. Du- dude. I think that's great. Thank I'm you. trying to figure out, um, did you write that script? Uh, it's, it's so, <laughs> it's so articulate. Like, <laughs> You know, like, listen, man, like, <laughs> Dave's Kickstarter is like a thing, you know, and and I'm into it. And I think other people should be kind of into it because, like, what it is that he's doing is literally, like, literature and stuff. And I'm like, you know, dude, grandissimo. And everybody should be that way. Sweet, bro. All right. <laughs> uh, thanks, Chuck. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I am going to recommend a book. Um, that I have been reading. I, um, I'm interested in uh, U.S. politics and, of course, watched the 2012 election uh, very carefully as it unfolded. And, uh, you know, after any major election season, we always get a bunch of books that are put out by reporters and folks that covered the race. And um, some are better than others. But um, I am reading a book called Collision 2012, which is written by Dan Balls, who is a Washington Post reporter. And uh, this is one of those books where he got a lot of access to candidates and campaign officials. Um, some of this stuff actually while the campaign was underway but embargoed until afterwards. So there's a lot of interesting information in here. Um, and if you enjoy sort of the play-by-play and really the nitty-gritty about how things were going and how screwed various campaigns were at various times, even though they were saying everything was great, um, it, it's, very fa- it's a fascinating look inside how these things work. And I think some very candid – 
uh, quotes from folks that worked on the various campaigns. It's um, So if you like that kind of stuff, I definitely recommend this book. It's called Collision 2012. It's available wherever books are available. It's widely easy to get. So if you're a political junkie type person, I would suggest giving it a read. Um, that is it. So let's see. Don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. That really helps us out. helps other people find the show, which we definitely appreciate. You can leave comments about this episode on the VegasGangPodcast.com website. And you can find us on Twitter at VegasGang. Um, thanks, you guys, for being here. Let me go around the table so you can tell people where they can find you. Uh, Dr. Dave, where can people find you? DGSchwartz.com. Excellent. And Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me at ratevegasgang.net. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you can find my Vegas List iPhone app at vegaslists.com. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. On October 19, 2013, the Vegas Internet Mafia family picnic invades the D Las Vegas on Fremont Street. Featuring 500 by Midnight, the original Las Vegas podcast. Tits McGee! The Vegas Gang podcast, featuring special guest Seth Shore, CEO of Fifth Street Gaming. As you've already surmised, we are the smartest people in the entire world. Vegas Tripping Match Game. This is going to be really, really great. It's going to be like Animal House. And Stump Dr. Dave. I have a lot of strange conversations. Plus, the first ever World Series of Satin Casino Jackets gorgeous pool table the 777th running of the Kentucky Derby and a very special after party featuring a concert by multi-platinum Juno award winner Our Lady Peace Visit VegasInternetMafia.com for details, hotel room discounts, and more. The 2013 Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic. Be there.